Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on April 8th of 2012, under the headline, Mass Murderer Honored in Monument at County Courthouse. Here we go. Wallawa County covers the northeast corner of Oregon, a gorgeous area of rugged, remote mountain lakes, the homeland of the legendary Chief Joseph. It's also the only county in the state whose courthouse grounds includes a monument dedicated to a known mass murderer. That actually sounds worse than it is. There are, in fact, about 200 names on the monument, which is an archway built in 1936 through which visitors walk to approach the courthouse steps. The archway is labeled Wallawa County Pioneers, and the brass plaques on the insides of the arch list them by date of arrival, 1871 to 1879. And murderer or no, Bruce Blue Evans did in fact settle in Wallawa County in 1879. They couldn't have left his name off the list just because he was a notorious horse thief who'd escaped from police custody at gunpoint and led a gang that coldly murdered three dozen people now, could they? Looking back on it today, it's hard to imagine why they didn't. If nothing else, they could have lopped the entire year of 1879 off the list. But in 1936, when this plaque was commissioned, it's a good bet the people working on it didn't even know about the massacre. Or if they did, they thought it was a nasty rumor. Wallowa County had tried hard to forget. Records from the investigation of the incident and the court case that resulted from it had been tucked away in unlikely places to keep them from being found. People who knew about it kept their mouths shut. There was a deep sense of secret shame about the whole thing, at least in part because some of the men involved were scions of some of the county's most respected families. Those other men were J. Titus Canfield, Omar LaRue, Hezekiah Carl Hughes, Hiram Maynard, Frank Vaughn, and Robert McMillan. Evans was, beyond any question, their leader, and many Wallawa County residents thought of him as having led the others astray. The killing happened in the last days of May 1887, when Evans and the other gang members were removing some stolen horses around on the Oregon side of the Snake River near Deep Creek. The area is remote and inaccessible, even by Wallawa County standards, and it made a great place for a bunch of horse thieves on the run from the law to hide out. And they were on the run. Authorities had tried to serve Evans with papers a few days earlier. Trouble was coming. Deep Creek runs into the Snake River at a spot with high rimrock all around. There's no cover of any kind. On this particular day, a group of Chinese miners was down along the creek below, working through the gravel bar with gold pans and looking for, and apparently finding, flower gold. A few minutes after Evans and his gang met them, these innocent strangers were dead and the gang had graduated from rustling to cold-blooded murder. Stories conflict over why Evans and his gang did it. One account says they asked the miners to lend them a boat to ferry their stolen horses across to Idaho, and when turned down, became enraged. Another says that knowing the miners had been there a while, they figured they'd have lots of gold, which would be useful since they were now fugitives from justice. 
Historian Greg Noakes, in his book on the topic, makes the case that simple racist hatred was a major factor, and he is probably right. Whatever the motivation, the gang members simply started shooting these terrified miners from the Rimrock with high-powered rifles, taking their shots carefully and simply exterminating these inoffensive strangers as if they were prairie dogs, one by one, until they were out of bullets and only one was left. They chased him down and brained him with rocks. The number of miners involved is unclear as well. Most sources agree there were ten in the first group. Most sources also say there were other Chinese miners in the area and the gang found and massacred them in the same fashion. The death toll was most likely 31 or 34. Of all the murdered men, the names of only ten are known. Of the seven gang members, one stayed at the remote cabin they were camping in, probably McMillan, who was just 15 at the time. One source quoted in Noakes' book says there was also a young orphan boy with them who, after the shooting started, took off running and was tracked down and killed by Evans to keep him from squealing. It's worth noting also, by the way, that one of the Chinese miners had a twenty-two pistol and used it to return fire. Despite the near impossibility of connecting with a small-bore pistol at such long range, this intrepid miner managed to park a slug in the leg of Frank Vaughn, one of the murderers. Vaughn walked with a limp for the rest of his life as a result of this. Eventually, Vaughn turned state's evidence and gave a confession. Evans, Canfield, and LaRue fled the state before trial. The other three were arrested and given a speedy but friendly trial. After apparently blaming the missing three for the whole thing, they were acquitted. Vaughn's confession has disappeared. The court records for the entire day in which the case was heard are likewise missing. It's the only blank page in the entire court journal. What documents there are were tucked away in unlikely places. The county planning records department, a dusty unused office safe, and forgotten. Of the three fugitives, little further is known. Canfield ended up changing his name to Charles and opening a blacksmith shop in southern Idaho, possibly with the proceeds of the massacre. None of them were ever arrested, charged, or even really sought after. They had perpetrated the worst massacre of Chinese people in U.S. history and gotten away with it. But in spite of this startling lack of judicial action, it would be a mistake to suggest that the people of Hlaua County didn't think killing those Chinese people was that big a deal. The extraordinary efforts to cover the crime up and pretend it never happened testify to that. Even today, the shame of what those seven men and boys did still haunts their families, their community, and yes, their state. By the way, in late June of 2012, the long-awaited monument for the massacred Chinese miners was installed at the scene of the crime, which is now called Chinese Massacre Cove. As far as I know, the other monument, the one with their killer's name on it, is still in place. Key sources in this story have included works by R. Gregory Noakes, Michael Nove, Richard Cockle, and the Portland Morning Oregonian. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are offbeat Oregon history-type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. 
This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.